Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And joining us from Finland is Auntie, an anarchist activist who was deported from Russia in 2012 and is now living in Finland, but is involved in uh, various solidarity works with Russian anti-fascists, and that's what he is here to talk to us about. Thanks for joining us, Antti. Yeah, thank you for making this. Just before we begin, why were you kicked out of Russia? Uh, why, 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 why I was deported? A kick out, yeah. Uh, this is, well, officially the explanation that I was endangering Russian constitutional order and uh, safety of the Russian citizens. So I actually went to court. I had a lawyer from from human rights NGO. But what happened in the court that there was a guy from FSB, the the former KGB, the security services, and came and he said that because of the reasons of the state uh, security, we cannot provide any evidence. But uh, but anyway, we consider this guy guy as a threat to constitutional order and and that was it and this is actually pretty much how it goes on on also in finland and probably most of the countries you don't uh, to deport someone you don't uh, need much proof in in if it's about the national security i just thought it was worth mentioning uh, the context because uh, there's plenty of kremlin watchers out there these days but uh you're the real deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it was, of course, but this is, I mean, a topic probably which we will will be discussing today. Like the the system kind of needs different kinds of threats uh, to to get going because there is a huge amount of people uh, hunting extremists in Russia, probably much more than any extremists. So. So this kind of uh, things needs to happen. So I guess the, you're hinting at the reason that we've got you on. There was recently a court case in Russia involving a group of uh, anarchists or anti-fascists that were called The Network, and the case was a little bit dodgy, to put it lightly. Could you take us through what that case was about? This case, now it's usually we discuss as network, like um, two years ago, ago it was more often called Pencils and Petersburg case. So this is basically a number of people accused in in Penza and St. Petersburg. It's it's altogether uh, seven people in Penza and, and uh, 
Cream more inside Petersburg, who were accused of being part of uh, underground clandestine revolutionary organization which was planning to overthrow the Russian regime. The first arrest happened already in, in October 2017, but this case became uh, widely known only in, in the next January of 2018 because uh, when uh, people start to be get arrested in St. Petersburg because Pensa it's a small city it's it's uh, several hundred kilometers uh, south uh, east from Moscow but, and the people there were not like uh, super connected uh, to any remaining anti-fascist and, and, and anarchist scene there were some connections but uh, this kind of news that they got arrested uh, it was uh, and it was and of course of then when uh, when people are arrested their relatives are uh, pretty afraid to contact anything so if most of the active people got arrested or were forced to go to clandestine to to escape uh, from the area there was not so much information spreading that so the whole story only broke out uh, two years ago in january and after this uh, there was a support um, campaign which which started in terms of uh, organizing to overthrow the Russian state, what were they accused of actually doing to that end? Well, this was uh, interesting because basically most of the proof uh, proof in the court, it was basically, it was some chats, which uh, like recordings, like online chats, uh, which were basically, and, and some computer files about some drafts, but uh, but many of these files were actually mangled by the, the investigation. So there were timestamps uh, after the arrest. So, so what was actually written by the defendants, it's unclear. So there is not like really any any obvious plans of action. Some of these uh, people arrested in Pensa, they had legal firearms, but there was not any clear indication that they, they were planning to use them somehow in some to some political activities. So, and there were also like witnesses. Uh, there were some planted weapons, weapons which were found like hand grenades with uh, without any any fingerprints of the defendants. So this was obviously a setup, and uh, there were also witnesses there were witnesses with uh, one witness who was also originally i think that this guy actually got uh, like a probational sentence so he was accused but he was basically giving testimony against the others and also provocators by fsb some uh, local nazi in penza who who basically tried to infiltrate the group without much uh, infiltrated like groups and and affinities of these people but they didn't get so much didn't have so much succeed in this but basically these chats were also used as uh, as a testimony so this is kind of uh, this kind of uh, thought crime that uh, but uh, according to russian legal system like just some general discussion about possibility of of the collapse of the Russian system can be illegal. So, so basically, in just Russian legal terms, people can be, be arrested and sentenced to prison for this kind of stuff, actually, without even any concrete plans or, or whatever. Did the uh, defendants have a history of involvement in anarchist and anti-fascist activity? There are there are three people um, who were uh, arrested in St. Petersburg. One of them already 
negotiated sort of plea bargain. It's not exactly the same thing, and he got a sh- got a shorter sentence than people in Pennsylvania. Saint Petersburg people, two of them are quite known activists with long-term involvement in 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 anarchist thing, especially Yuli Boyarshinov. But uh, people in Penza, like there was uh, this uh, Chelnichev who got the longest longest sentence. Uh, he he was connected and, and going around to well, Moscow and to St. Petersburg, but most of the people were not uh, much connected and mostly only in the local level. So this Pensavaska is a provincial city and it doesn't have much of any political opposition. These people were probably more, more or less the only political... It's, it's possible uh, that uh, these people were the only political activists in the city. So this is also why the story... It took two months for the story to break out. And there's been quite a history of anarchist and anti-fascist activity in Moscow, St. Petersburg and elsewhere in Russia. Um, from the outside, it seems to be quite a uh, violent conflict Are you able to comment on that recent history and to situate this trial in that context? The situation has changed pretty much in Russia for the for the last ten years. This uh, this peak of Nazi street violence it was in in um, around ten or fifteen years ago, and also a big part of it was targeted against anti-fascist. Activists, uh, including anarchists, but not only, and there were like more than 10 anti-fascist activists who were murdered between, um, between 2005 and 2012. But since then, uh, this, there has been a huge drop in the, um, in the, this kind of fascist activity. And main reason for this, of course, we can discuss what's the main uh, reason of this, but, um, in my, on personal opinion, uh, there are several, but one of them is that fascist movement always in, in Russia, but I think in pretty much all the other countries also, it oscillates between, uh, uh, between attempts to have a sort of populist parliamentarian thing and, 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 uh, in the one hand, and then in the other hand, some ultra terrorist, uh, thing. And in Russia, the far right, they had attempts to create mass organization in the nineties and this failed. And then they moved to terrorism, but this also more or less failed. But after this 2012 demonstration against election fraud, they still had hopes to move back to mainstream area. So the strategy of the far right changed. And also the terrorism kind of failed. The most uh, active active underground armed Nazi organization, they were destroyed by the security services. But also one of the big uh, reasons was the Ukrainian thing, because the whole Ukrainian war, it completely split uh, the far-right scene. The more orthodox Christian fundamentalist or, or uh, Soviets and this kind of imperial, imperial... Um, Patriots, they were supporting the Russian side and uh, the more Nazi nationalist underground skinhead, uh, bonehead uh, thing, it was supporting the Ukrainian side and it was a huge split. So there are like several developments, but basically the uh, long story short is that the far right street violence, it has dropped a lot. I think in 2008, it was more than 100 um, uh, racist murders in Russia and uh, 
I think in 2018 it was less than 10, maybe six or eight, and the last year it was maybe even less. I mean, there is still uh, still uh, violence and there is still lots of racism, but uh, this kind of organized uh, Nazi murder gangs, it's it's pretty much disappeared, and this also actually has uh, meant that uh, lots of um, lots of anti-fascism has also disappeared. There are still some. Uh, I think there are still like some small uh, anti-fascist uh, direct action uh, affinities, but it's much more smaller than than ten years ago. But this was happening in Pensa and inside Petersburg. Of course, it's still kind of fallout from this last situation because while uh, the security services got uh, more concerned of the Nazi violence, especially when they started to kill uh, kill even police, they got more concerned also of the anti-fascist movement. Which, especially after uh, after some big uh, demonstrations to which um, and direct actions, which uh, which anti-fascists took part on on more social issues. So this um, security service apparatus and police started to target anti-fascists much more and, and this is one of the results of these developments, even if quite late. The arrests took place initially prior to the uh, World Cup and I guess in that sense it was possible for Putin and the Russian state to demonstrate that they take these matters seriously and to ensure that the Cup... Uh, you know, ran smoothly and the cup itself host, being hosted by Russia is, uh, you know, a, um, I guess, a feather in Putin's cap. My impression is that Putin and those around him exercise very clear control over the public culture of Russia. Is that so? And is there opposition? And how does that opposition to Putin's regime manifest itself given these uh, many legal and political constraints on political opposition. Like uh, in general, the opposition in in Russia is not very strong, and it has not been in the whole um, Putin's time. And actually, last uh, f- last uh, eight years, it has been uh, much stronger than before. So before, I mean, in the sense, like of course, when we talk about opposition in Russia, there are two oppositions. There is this kind of loyal formal opposition which is in parliament there are just like in the many countries of the eastern bloc there used to be and even nowadays in north korea there is official opposition parties which are just uh, symbolic these uh, opposition parties they are maybe a bit more real opposition than than in north korea but they still never oppose uh, kremlin in any any crucial things this is for example the communist party of the russian federation is kind of loyal opposition but besides this there is so-called unofficial opposition or street opposition this is uh, people who are organizing uh, demonstrations against corruption against election fraud and and uh, against uh, political repressions and this is uh, existing thing and and it's um, even managed to succeed in the most uh, local level of elections because uh, the local uh, elections are not controlled so much but they have no way to go to the state uh, parliament like the, um, the federal parliament this is uh, like the general picture and there is lots of uh, political diversity there is uh, people in the opposition there are uh, lots of 
quite right-wing liberal people who basically want a more Western course of development. But there is also also nationalists and and social democrats and the communists outside the communist party. So this is 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 uh, and the national Bolsheviks and and so on. So this is like mixed. But an uh, anarchist and anti-fascist involvement in in the, of is. Like and usually, like many anarchist and anti-fascists try to somehow get involved if there is some some mass demonstrations going on, but also it's a bit uh, separate. There is not uh, like super much interest to be involved in in parliamentary elections. But some, but often this repression, which uh, often after the big demonstrations, there are ways of repression. And now, for example, Yegor Lesnik, who is uh, in prison for for the um, Last uh, summer's uh, anti-election fraud demonstrations in Moscow. He's a long-term, uh, like hardcore and uh, anti-fascist uh, activist from, I think, city of Volsk, which is neighboring the Volgograd, which is sometimes more more famous as Stalingrad. It's the former Stalingrad area. So he was in these Moscow demonstrations, and and uh, he got randomly grabbed and and given a long prison sentence, like. With What's happened to many other people as well. So, so this is like uh, generally what's happening. You've referred to the fact that the opposition to Putin is quite varied, and some of it is uh, does oppose Putin, and some of it doesn't. Within that context, uh, figures like well, there's national Bolshevism, there's figures like uh, Dugin and others, and some of those figures appear to be trying to develop connections between themselves and uh, the international far right. What what can you say about those connections? Like, uh, as I explained with the Ukrainian war, there is uh, there was a big split in the far right related to Ukrainian war, Ukrainian war and this is also reflects in the West. Like, there are... Uh, like people like Salvini in, in Italy who is happy to cooperate uh, with Russia, especially in the southern Europe, many parts of the traditional far right, they are positive uh, with Russia. In the eastern Europe, not so much. The Nordic resistance movement, which is active here in Finland and in, in, in the Nordic countries, and only, only remaining like uh, ultra far right party, basically. They have like vague position in terms of Russia. They are uh, the Swedish. They are have some connections to some some Russian, basically this kind of imperial patriotic uh, tendencies. But in Finland, they never publicly take pro Russian position because it's impossible here. But obviously, both the both Kremlin and anti Kremlin right wing groups they are creating international network. And Kremlin is more uh, trying to. Happy kind of right-wing populist thing, but then this kind of ultra ultranational socialist. They are basically they are anti-Putin and anti-Kremlin, and they are heavily networked with the Ukrainian far right, which is uh, basically Ukraine is maybe becoming more like a central hub of this kind of national socialist tendencies in in Europe and worldwide. And the Russian uh, tendency is more into national socialism and hara- like basically all the tendencies which want to create national state because currently the official Russian ideology is not the ideology of a nation state. 
and these tendencies uh, are uh, networking uh, with with Ukrainian far right and Ukraine is is kind of important uh, point like reference point for them because Ukraine is much more especially western Ukraine is basically a nation state to return to the case of the network there's a few complications with some of the people who've um been involved in the case and accusations that they've engaged in uh, other forms of crime can you comment on that yeah there was a story which was broke out by medusa it's um, it's basically oppositional uh, russian language media which is based on on latvia so in in city of riga it's the neighboring country inside the european union which has a big um, russian language minority also so they broke a story that at least two of the people who are involved in the case uh, this uh, ivankin who was sentenced in in um, in uh, penza and uh, and poltavets uh, who is uh, right now a clandestine activist hiding in in Ukraine who managed to escape from Russia very involved in into murders uh, approximately half a year before the first arrests and uh, this is basically based on the story of the of the Poltavets uh, that uh, who is like repenting of these events other defendants they are basically denying everything and saying that, that, that nothing of this is true and the background is that uh, some there are uh, like uh, i think two of the Pensa defendants and and uh, one guy who who was giving a testimony and and uh, got a probational sentence they have uh, admitted a drug related charges so they are basically accused that there were two people who were also involved in in some drug business so when they had to go it was basically Artem Dorofeyev and and Katya Levchenko and when they were hiding in the march of 2017s after the first uh, searches there was some sort of conflict between them and um, two persons got killed um, not far from the city of Ryazan which is basically between Moscow and Penza and Dorofeyev was found uh, found already the autumn of the same year but um Katalevchenko was actually her body was found only after this Medusa publication and actually some people who were involved in this uh, defense like support work of the prisoners they got got this information and from Poltavets already last year and there was kind of attempts of internal investigation in the support campaign but uh, nothing conclusive came from this basically only the police had uh, proper resources to for example to find body of Katya Levchenko so Personally, I think that uh, this uh, story is quite credible, especially after the body of Katya Levchenko was found, af- according to, um, to witnessing of Poltavets. So this definitely might have happened. So it's quite likely that at least couple, some of the defendants have been involved in this kind of, of quite shady business. Also, quite obviously, not all of these defendants have been involved, so this is something that has to be followed and discussed, and basically, you have to discuss the limits of support. 
like what are the moral uh, limitations of to being involved like basically i'm not actually i'm not involved in this uh, support campaign directly but i'm involved in anarchist black cross of moscow which is now like online regime we cannot meet meet each other because people who are in the group are living in the different countries i'm not the only member who was basically forced to get out from russia But I think yeah, we have to follow the situation and also see what kind of statements the defendants are doing. Obviously, this is difficult because um, many of the people involved are now incarcerated and they have limited uh, opportunities of communication and and so on. But uh, this is kind of ongoing process, uh, trying to figure out what is going on. I did notice, Auntie, that uh, Edward uh, Limonov died recently, just a week or two ago. Um, can you comment on his death and whatever uh, political legacy he's left behind in Russia? Yeah, I mean, Limonov is, of course, is is, is quite curious character because this um, he's he was the creator of the National uh, Bolshevik Party and. Uh, uh, he was basically leading this uh, during all of his uh, life, the National Bolshevik Party. And basically the idea was, it was kind of this liberal dream about horseshoe theory becoming true. He was taking elements of the, of the fascist, fascist ideas and, and uh, Stalinism and mixing it together. And basically, this was part of this actually 90s counter-reaction against um, uh, liberal reforms. And basically the most symbolic symbolic part of it, even though uh, obviously there was never, it was never such a big movement. There was, I think, in the whole peak, it could be maybe a thousand people involved in the International Bolshevik Party, which was already banned. Uh, for maybe 15 years ago. But uh, many people, especially uh, somehow subcultural or poor, poor, how to say, marginalized people who were uh, mostly frustrated of this uh, this uh, ultra-capitalist developments in Russia, they joined this party. And uh, and uh, at some point it was uh, like they always, even though there were not so many people, they managed to do some pretty daring uh, symbolic actions. So in the peak of the party, which was around 20 years ago, then when when uh, Limonov was what was at some point in prison, the party moved to liberal direction, and it became basically one of the original building blocks of this liberal street opposition because they were capable to organize um, like more capable to do street protest actions than than many of the liberals but if there will be any long-lasting legacy it's hard to say because uh, because this whole thing was of course pretty much around the personality of Limonov was and basically Many people who joined this party, they were always more artists than than uh, people with some political consistent approach. Of course, also what is 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 widely known is that Dugin uh, was uh, actually one of the main ideologies of this party, and uh, and uh, and also somehow the legacy of the Limonov is alive in the Duginism, which is uh, in contrary the. Um, the part of the Kremlin ideological system, but also many 
of Dugin's ideas, they are like very esoteric and uh, and and somehow pure fantasy and and um, this kind of cultish, uh, strange stuff, which I think uh, cannot uh, define the state or federal like whole um, politics of the whole states so there but there is this kind of overlapping and and also i think the whole putin's regime is actually and the whole ideology of the putin's regime is based on this um, anti-liberal counter uh, counter revolution so this is this counter revolution and but in another hand also the the anarchist and anti fascist movement it's in a way it's part of this so our my generation of people like people born in the late seventies or eighties when uh, many people became political activity of course uh, we were uh, like i was uh, i'm not from russia i was i moved there in nineteen ninety nine but uh, people i met with they were basically people who hate all these oligarchs and and new rich and this huge economic disparity and and everything and mafia and everything what was going on so so this is why uh, why uh, people were basically anarcho communists when when in the 80s, for example, in the Soviet Union, anarchist movement, communists were very few and, and far between. Most of the people were like mutualists or or Bakuninist collectivists or, or, or something like this. So basically the whole uh, society moved to anti-liberal direction and this uh, happened everywhere. Also in, in anarchism and anti-fascism and, and Kremlin and um and different parties and so on and limonov was was quite important um, symbol of all of these developments and his uh, his pretty crazy ideas were uh, like part of this whole uh, wider phenomena so well we'll have to leave it there auntie thanks very much for joining us okay yeah thank you thanks for making this that was Antti there talking to us from Finland about the situation in Russia and specifically the network case, which you can find out more about at the campaign site repression.com. Like repression, but with a U for Russia. Global Intifada is up next. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook. At you can? Yeah, now pass around. And uh, there is also a podcast of this show available at 3cr.org.au slash yeah, now pass around. And we'll be back next week. See you later.